Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Mean Old Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge because, as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pearls with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. I hope that this month is treating you well thus far. We haven't discussed any hardcore medical issues in a really long time. And y'all have asked me to address some real medical issues that can affect pregnancy. We'll get pretty deep over the next few episodes. Today, we're going to talk about sickle cell anemia and how it affects pregnancy. Sickle cell anemia, or what some call sickle cell disease, is actually an inherited group of disorders that cause contortion of red blood cells into a sickle-like shape. Our normal red blood cells are nice and round, like a donut without the hole cut out. Sickle cell patients have red blood cells shaped like an S or like a sickle, like an icicle. This is due to the type of hemoglobin patients with sickle cell anemia has. Let me break it down. So hemoglobin is what's in your red blood cells, okay? Like when you cut yourself, you bleed red blood cells, okay? Hemoglobin carries oxygen. And normally, you have hemoglobin A if you don't have sickle cell anemia. If you don't have an inherited blood disorder, then you have hemoglobin AA, okay? Two normal A donut red blood cells, okay? With normal hemoglobin inside of them. People with sickle cell anemia have hemoglobin SS. So they have two sickled uh, hemoglobins. So those hemoglobins don't carry oxygen well, okay? If they're sickled. Now, a lot of people are carriers of sickle cell anemia, especially those of African descent. So if you have the trait, you have hemoglobin AS. So you have one normal hemoglobin and one sickle hemoglobin. And usually those with the trait are asymptomatic, meaning they don't even know that they're carriers for the trait until they're tested, like when they get pregnant. Some with the trait rarely have very mild anemia, but not enough usually to require blood transfusion. Symptoms of sickle cell anemia include pain, anemia, and jaundice, okay, or yellowing of your eyes. Well, why is it such a big deal? Well, because this pain is a sign of something much greater, and that's called vascular occlusion and damage of vessels. Think of sickled red blood cells like knives that can slash through vessels, okay? So if you have an occlusion that occurs in the vessel because your nice donut-like cells can just free float through down your vessels, but your sickled S ones are like sort of ridging through, okay? So if you have a backup or an occlusion there, a few things can happen. The occlusion can block blood flow to the distal tissue. So it can block flow to tissues that it was intended to go to. And that can cause bleeding in the vessels, as the cells build up in that area, because you got a buildup of like knives, razor blades in that area of occlusion. So if you have a flare 
and the occlusion is in the heart, then these patients have what's called acute chest, which is basically a heart attack, or they have a dissection of art- arteries or coronary arteries, or which are the vessels that supply the heart. They can have a dissection. And what dissection means is like, it slit the long way, okay? So it's hard to stop bleeding if you slit the long way. So like if somebody slits their wrist like the long way, it's not gonna clot off, right? Same thing with the heart. If you have an occlusion in the brain, that's called an acute brain, which is a stroke, okay? This is why this is a big deal. And jaundice is caused by damage in the liver. And you can have damage anywhere in the body that has vessels. So sickle cell anemia literally affects every single part of the body because the body has vessels. And horribly, back in the day, but really not too far back in the day, okay, it was like when I was in training, sickle cell disease was not even known to be one of the chronic pain diseases. So doctors, yes, my fellow colleagues would treat patients as if they're drug seeking. Whew. So thank God we've come a long way, especially because the treatment of sickle cell pain crisis is hydration and pain medicine, because usually people with sickle cell anemia are just that their cells are lysing and sickling, and therefore those cells can't carry oxygen. So they're anemic because they don't have enough normal red blood cells. And then they have occlusion because of these sickle cells. And so they have pain because of where the occlusion is, plus the fact that they have decreased oxygen to certain areas of the body. So it's just like if you work out, why is working out painful? Because you don't have oxygen delivered to the tissue. You're making lactic acid, okay? That's why they say no pain, no gain, right? Lactic acid is building up because you are not delivering oxygen, okay? Same thing with a sickler. They're not delivering oxygen to the tissue. That's causing pain, although they're not working up. Plus, they're having this, you know, those vessels are are being damaged because of sickle cells. I'm glad that we've come a long way and we're giving people the treatment that they need and we're treating their pain as serious so that they can get over their pain crises more easily. After that, then we assess whether a patient needs a blood transfusion or an exchange transfusion. So an exchange transfusion, to make it in its simplest form, is when we remove the old blood while simultaneously infusing or transfusing new blood with normal hemoglobin AA so that patients don't continue to sickle, right? That then tanks their blood count up. It gives them more normal red blood cells. And so the normal then outweighs the sickle. And when your percent sickle goes up, then you are at risk for occlusion and flare again. So that's why some patients get a straight blood transfusion, depending on how anemic they are and what their percent hemoglobin is, percent hemoglobin S is, okay? And then some patients get an exchange if they have a higher percent hemoglobin S, okay? And as doctors, we figure that thing out, okay? We also must evaluate a patient to make sure that there's nothing else that needs to be treated. So if there's an occlusion in the vessels of the heart and somebody presents with chest pain, then we need to go to the cath lab and get a stent because you're essentially having a heart attack, et cetera, et cetera. If there's damage to the kidney, then we want to make sure we don't need to stent you at the level of the kidney. So we need to make sure that we are looking for areas of damage that we can treat because of these crises. Sickle cell disease occurs in about one in every 365 black people. 
and one in every 16,300 Hispanic American people. However, one in 13 black babies are born with sickle cell trait. So those with sickle cell disease are more prone to infection by certain encapsulated bacteria. And I don't even want to go into encapsulated versus non-encapsulated. Just know that they have a higher risk of bacterial infections. So it's important that everyone that has sickle cell disease is vaccinated against pneumococcal pneumonia or get the pneumovax. Okay. This vaccine alone is responsible for a 42% decline in sickle cell related deaths in kids younger than four years old. So sickle cell used to have a really high childhood mortality rate with 1.5 per hundred blacks with sickle cell disease dying before age three. You heard me. I didn't say 1.5 per thousand, 1.5 per hundred with sickle cell disease dying before age three. Serious stuff. So thank God that's not the case anymore. And now people with sickle cell disease can live full lives and they can get pregnant. And when they get pregnant, they're treated by somebody like me, a high risk specialist. So if you have sickle cell disease and you get pregnant, this gene defect, which is a valine to guanine switch. Okay. So if you're a doctor, you listen to it, you're studying for boys. That's what it is. Okay. Um, it can get passed on to your baby. Okay. If you have the disease and you get pregnant by someone who doesn't have the disease and is not a carrier, then your baby can only be a carrier. If you have the disease and get pregnant by someone who is a carrier for sickle cell trait, meaning remember AS, they're a carrier, but they don't have the disease, they're asymptomatic. Then your baby has a 50% chance of being a carrier and a 50% chance of having the actual disease. And if you are only a sickle cell carrier and you get pregnant by someone else who is a carrier, so y'all are both asymptomatic, be bopping around, didn't know you were carriers, you get tested in pregnancy, find out you're a carrier, father, baby, get tested, y'all are both carriers, then your baby has a 25% chance of having sickle cell disease or sickle cell anemia, a 50% chance of only being a carrier, and then a 25% chance of having nothing at all. Like not being a carrier, good to go. Okay. Now that you know a whole much more about sickle cell anemia, let's go to some cases. Our first case is a 23-year-old who is pregnant with her first child. She has a history of sickle cell trait. The father of her baby is unsure of his status. The patient's sister has sickle cell disease, and she has watched her deal with pain crisis and hospitalization throughout her life. She was referred for genetic counseling and to figure out if her baby will have sickle cell anemia. So the question that this patient needs to ask is, what are you going to do with the information? Because you're trait positive, sickle cell disease, depending on the state you're in, there are certain things that are universally screened. Sickle cell disease is not one of those universal screenings in most states. Okay. Unless you are known to be a carrier and for you, you're a carrier. So they're going to screen your baby at delivery for sickle cell um, disease, okay? And they all do hemoglobin electrophoresis to see if your baby has anything else since you are a carrier. So like I found out Harrison has hemoglobin C trait. I was like, where did that come from, right? I don't have that. That's not something you, I'm screened for in pregnancy, but it was something they screened for after birth. So the question is, what are you gonna do with the information? So some people would terminate if, they find out their baby has sickle cell anemia. And if you're that person, then you need to know 
the status of the baby. And the only way to know the status of the baby is to get an amniocentesis. There's one lab that does do sickle cell screening specifically with amniotic fluid. So they can tell you the baby's genetic makeup. That's a send out lab. It's going to take a couple weeks to come back. And I don't know your gestational age. So if you are less than 18 weeks, then that's an option for you to get that done. And then you could get a termination if you wanted to. But again, I would not encourage somebody that has a baby with sickle cell disease to get a termination. And like I said before, babies with sickle cell anemia are now living full lives. Now, are there people that still die of sickle cell pain crisis? Well, yeah, I mean, that happens. It's going to be a harder life because you are going to be back and forth to hematologists. Your child will have pain crises. There will be some things your child can't do. But in terms of like intellect, this is a child with that's going to have normal intellect, can live a full life. I mean, look at T-Boz. I mean, she has sickle cell anemia. And I know that she was in and out of the hospital, but she's a megastar. And there's a lot of people walking around with sickle cell anemia that live full lives and that are professionals. So I would caution you you know, to do some more research before you decide to terminate. But it's up to you, right? It's up to you. Now, if you're in the state of Texas, you you can't do that in the state of Texas, okay? You know, I know you watch the news, okay? You're getting whiplash from all the stuff the Supreme Court is doing right now about this abortion ban, but okay. You can get a termination in certain states, okay? But you, there are states that you could travel to to get a termination if you wanted to. But again, um, for sickle cell alone, I usually don't encourage people to terminate. So the first step I would take, if I were you, is to have your spouse or father of the baby tested, okay? Blood test. He can go get carrier screening just like you got carrier screening. If he's negative, nothing to worry about. The most that your child can have is be a carrier, which is like you, asymptomatic, no issues, no in and out of the hospital, no pain flares, no exchange transfusions. So completely like you, okay? Now, if the father of the baby is positive, then you have to say, do I want an amniocentesis to know or do I want to just find out when the baby gets here? And some people want an amniocentesis to know and they won't terminate. They just want to get informed. They want more resources. They want to be prepared. They want to figure out who the hematologist will be for their child before their child is born. And I completely get that. You know, knowledge is power. That would be the way that you figure out if your baby has sickle cell anemia. Father screened, then get an amniocentesis if you want, or you can get the baby tested afterwards. But really ask yourself, what are you going to do? with the information if your baby is positive, okay? I usually tell people to figure that out before they get tested because you don't want to be reactionary, right? You want to come back and say, you know what? We talked about this. We already know what we're going to do with this information instead of you find out bad news and all of a sudden you're like distraught and then you have to take time to process it and then, you know, you're overwhelmed. Like just talk about that now, and then get the test. And then while you're waiting on the test results, you already know your next step. So we're not having to call you and then call you back the next week and call you back the week after that, after you process it. Okay. And then there's always counseling. So if you need further genetic counseling, you should tell your OBGYN that you want further genetic counseling. If you need therapy to process the results of the amniocentesis, then your maternal fetal medicine specialist, which is somebody like me or your OBGYN can set you up with counseling um, further just to cope with, you know, with your diagnosis and things like that. And then if you wanted to avoid having a child with sickle cell anemia, like let's say both of y'all are positive, 
you know, we're going to have this baby. What, what can we do next time? So there's nothing you can really do to say, I 100% am not going to have a baby that has, that has a risk of sickle cell unless you get a genetic amniocent, uh, excuse me, unless you get IVF in vitro fertilization, because then you can literally test for that before an egg is implanted or an embryo is implanted inside of your uterus. Now, IVF pregnancies have risk of their own. Okay. Go back and listen to, uh, the episode with Dr. Jones a couple weeks ago. Okay. That there's risk there to IVF in general. Okay. So there's everything is risky, but that's the only way to say, Hey, this next child will not have sickle cell anemia if both of you guys end up being carriers. The case pearl for this case is both parents have to have sickle cell trait for the baby to be affected in this case. Therefore, it's pertinent that the father of the baby gets screened. All right, medical intern, what's our second case? Our second case is a 21-year-old who is 12 weeks pregnant with her first child. She has sickle cell disease with a history of multiple exchange transfusions due to sickle cell pain crisis. She also has a history of high blood pressure since the age of 18. Her primary care doctor told her that her blood pressure was due to kidney damage, but also said her kidney function was normal a few weeks ago. She was previously treated with lisinopril, but was discontinued last year due to good blood pressure control. She was referred for transfer of care and wants to know what can be done to decrease her risk of flares. All right, this is my bread and butter. I get these kind of referrals all the time and take over all their care. First things first, you're 12 weeks, but you have a history of hypertension or high blood pressure since the age of 18 due to kidney damage, which means to me that you've had flares off and on through your life that has caused vascular damage at the level of the kidney. Before I do anything, I want to do a 24-hour urine. I want to make sure that I am... Looking at your kidney function, I want to check your serum creatinine to see if your creatinine is above two, um, because if you're already in renal failure, okay, and your doctor is saying, oh, you have good control, but they don't know you're pregnant, that could change some things, okay? People that have any degree of end-stage renal disease have a higher five-year mortality rate, and so we'd have to have a come-to-Jesus meeting. But assuming that your kidney function is good, meaning your creatinine for pregnancy should be somewhere between 0.4 and 0.7. That's normal. Outside of pregnancy should be about one. Okay. So if your creatinine is in that normal pregnancy range, then we are doing good. So I still want to do a 24 hour unit to see how much protein we have. People that have um, underlying kidney disease have a higher risk of preeclampsia, which is high blood pressure and vascular damage. And Protein, if you already have sickle cell anemia with underlying renal disease, can be tricky because then we're waiting on it to double, okay? Because we already know it's going to be significant because you have kidney damage. But we want to make sure we're keeping an eye on that amount of protein in your urine as we go through the pregnancy. So we're going to do basically serial 24-hour urines in the pregnancy just to monitor that. We're also going to do serial serum creatinine, which your creatinine is that blood marker that tells us what your kidney function is again. So we want to do that periodically through the pregnancy to make sure that your kidney function is normal. Okay. That is what we're going to do from the kidney standpoint. We're going to co-manage you with your nephrologist because your nephrologist would be the person like if you needed to go on dialysis, they'd be the person to do that. And we would be like, Hey, she's not making good urine. Help us. 
And so they would help us out with that. Now, why do I mention dialysis? Because there are people that are bebopping around that may have very mild disease of the kidneys outside of pregnancy. But when you hit those kidneys with the double whammy, you double that blood volume and now the kidney has to work like over twice as hard. The kidneys are like out of breath. It's like working out like pregnancy is a workout for the kidneys. So the kidneys can poop out on us. And sometimes that's a reason that we have to deliver you early at 30 weeks, 32 weeks, 34 weeks. Because we don't want to kill your kidneys in this pregnancy. So once we get to the point where we're like, wait a minute, the creatinine is 2.5, 3, and a half, like we're putting you on dialysis? Let's get the baby out. Let's spare the kidneys and let the kidneys go back to like walking on the treadmill instead of running, okay, basically. So we want to spare the kidneys. So we have to keep a very close eye on the kidneys, okay? A flare is going to worsen our kidney function because it's going to cause vascular damage everywhere else okay which makes our kidneys work even harder so we do want to stop you from having a flare but the first thing i want to do is make sure that we know what we're dealing with in terms of your kidney function i'm glad you're not on lisinopril but sometimes we have to make sure that because you already have underlying kidney damage we want to make sure that we're putting you on something that's pregnancy safe to drop your blood pressure and keep it lower so that we have dilation or what's called vasodilation at the level of the kidneys to allow the kidneys to optimize its function. Okay. Number two. Next, we want to make sure we're co-managed with a hematologist. Okay. That's our blood doctors. Because if you've had multiple exchange transfusions, that means that you've been treated for multiple flares. We don't have time for that in pregnancy. So we want to schedule your exchange transfusions. If you're somebody that like clockwork, oh my God, you have a, a flare every three months. We don't want to wait till you have a flare to exchange you. We want to periodically do your percent hemoglobin S and say, hey, when her percent hemoglobin S gets to this, we're going to go ahead and exchange transfuser to prevent her from having a flare because a flare puts you at risk for a stillbirth and pregnancy. Why? Because we can't control where the occlusion is going to happen. We can't control, you know, what vessels are going to get damaged. And if you have damage and it's affecting flow to the uterus, well, then the placenta can't get good blood flow and then the baby passes away. So we don't want you to have a flare in pregnancy. Yes, we can treat you through a flare in pregnancy. We can give you a straight blood transfusion or exchange, give you oxygen, give you fluids, give you pain medicine. But if we can avoid it by trying to anticipate when you're going to have a flare based on the percentage of hemoglobin S you have, then we would do that. So I would work in conjunction with the hematologist to see what have been the frequency of your flares in the past? What has been your percent hemoglobin S? And follow your hemoglobin S through the pregnancy and then talk to your hematologist and, and recommend an exchange transfusion at certain times. Um, you also need serial growth scans. So we need to keep an eye on the baby. Why? Because if you're anemic, you're not getting good oxygen delivery to your tissues. That includes the uterus, which is just a big muscle, right? And if the uterus isn't getting good blood flow, then the placenta isn't either. If the placenta is not getting good blood flow, then the baby isn't either. And that puts you at risk for having a smaller baby. Smaller babies have poor outcomes. They have an increased risk of stillbirth if we don't watch them carefully and get out before, before it happens. So we want to make sure that we're doing serial growth scans on you so that we can catch when the baby is small and monitor you closely. Next thing, People that have multiple exchange transfusions or even multiple blood transfusions, just like straight putting more blood in as opposed to like removing blood and putting new blood in. So people that have uh, multiple transfusions have increased risk of antibodies. 
I'm going to have to do an episode on antibodies because this can be serious. What's the big deal about antibodies in your blood? Well, some of those antibodies can cross the placenta and literally attack the baby's red blood cells, which causes the baby to be anemic. And that can cause the baby to have high drops, which is fluid that builds up in two or more compartments, like fluid around the heart, fluid in the lungs, fluid on the brain. And that can cause the baby to pass away from basically uh, anemic shock or like hypovolemic shock, basically. Like the heart's trying to pump really, really hard and just poops out because it's not getting enough volume. So we want to make sure we look for antibodies so we know how to follow you going forward um, through the pregnancy. If you have antibodies, then you need to be monitored every two weeks. And that's, you know, people are like, oh, the baby can be anemic even if the father of the baby is negative. Yes, it's not that the baby would have an increased risk of having sickle cell disease. Okay, if the father of the baby is negative, then we know that the baby's only going to have the trait. Now, if the father of the baby is positive and a baby has sickle cell um, disease, usually that baby is protected from flares inside of the wound because babies have fetal hemoglobin, which is called hemoglobin F. Hemoglobin F holds on to oxygen tighter, okay? It's not until it's ba- the baby starts making, you know, uh, hemoglobin S and A afterwards um, and doesn't have hemoglobin F anymore that we get into pain crises and flares at like two, three months. That's when babies usually have their first flares. So, so no, this is not talking about a baby being anemic because the baby has sickle cell anemia. This is talking about a baby becoming anemic because of antibodies from the mom, from all the blood transfusions she's had, crossing the placenta and attacking the baby's red blood cells. Okay. There's a lot of things that I would do for this patient to try to prevent complications. But the biggest thing about risk of flares is to make sure we work on the timing when we're doing the straight transfusions and the exchange transfusions. And then the other thing that will reduce flares specifically is to make sure you're not getting an infection. Okay. Like a urinary tract infection, throw you into a flare. COVID, throw you into a flare. Any illness can throw you into a a flare. If your immune system's revving up, throw you in a flare okay any little thing so we need to make sure that we're treating any underlying infections promptly so that you don't get thrown into a flare in addition to trying to figure out the timing with the hematologist um, for exchange and and straight transfusions i hope that answers the question the pregnancy pearl a case pearl for this case case pearl for this case is co-management with a hematologist is key for patients with frequent flares Typically, scheduled exchange transfusions would be recommended as an attempt to avoid pain crises. We also want to make sure that patients don't develop any antibodies due to these multiple exchange transfusions. Antibodies can affect the baby's overall wellness. All right. Do we have any email cases today? Yes. This one says, Dr. Plenty, I have sickle cell disease and I'm 28 weeks pregnant. I had an amniocentesis because the father of my child is a sickle cell carrier, and I was told that my baby was unaffected. What are the risks to my baby this pregnancy? The good thing is your baby is unaffected. And when I usually say unaffected, I mean your baby is not a carrier and your baby does not have the disease. So literally hemoglobin AA, okay? If your baby... um, is you know hemoglobin a2 then unaffected great 
right? So the risks to the baby are going to be the risk to you. And that is, or the risk because of you. And that is, if you don't have a pain crisis, then we're good. Okay. But because you have sickle cell anemia, you're anemic. The biggest risk to your baby is going to be growth restriction. If you're anemic, then the placenta is not getting good blood flow. And in exchange, the baby is not getting good blood flow, or at least there's a risk of that. Okay. The most important thing is to make sure your blood count stays normal. And if you get an infection, you get it treated promptly. And if you get pain, you tell your doctor you're having pain. Stay super hydrated. Okay. It's hot in Texas. If you're in Texas, stay hydrated. If you're anywhere in the South, make sure you're drinking a, a ton of water because you're going to have a lot of losses walking around in this heat. Um, if you're, you know, some of our Northern or East Coast friends, like the good thing is the weather is, is feeling real good right now, but you still need to make sure you're drinking the 80 to 100 ounces of water a day. That's going to decrease your risk of having a sickle cell flare and can help you with oxygenation to your tissues. The biggest risk Growth restriction. You also have an increased risk of having preeclampsia. Um, so we want to make sure we're monitoring you closely for that as well. But biggest risk to the baby is going to be growth restriction. And our hope is that we get you safely through the pregnancy without you having a flare. And if you do, then, you know, your risk is basically very low. All right. Do we have any other email questions? And my medical intern is shaking her head. No. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pearls podcast. I hope that you've been enlightened about sickle cell anemia and pregnancy. If you've been listening, you know that I'm a co-author and you can purchase my book via my link tree, but I have some exciting news to come. So be sure you're following me on social media for my announcement coming soon. You can find me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and Facebook at pregnancy pearls. And no, y'all, that announcement is not that I'm pregnant. So get that out of your head right now. Also, remember, you can now book a consultation if you want to chat with me directly about your questions. And you can also get a free lactation consult from my team. Check out my new and improved website at PregnancyPearls.com to book one if you need it. If you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at PregnancyPearls at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel at YouTube.com forward slash PregnancyPearls with Dr. Plenty for more quick talks about pregnancy complications. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. 
LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.